Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. On this bonus episode, we head back to the Ask Me Anything event to follow up on a discussion around storage. We also have some cool updates to announce. All that and more on this episode of the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm your host, Eric the IT Guy. Our first Ask Me Anything event was a huge success. We had between 8 to 10 people join Brandon and I to discuss a range of topics. The coolest part of the event, though, was getting to hang out with fellow technologists. We scheduled two hours, thinking that would be more than enough. But after almost three hours, conversations continued on a variety of different topics and even spilled over into our Matrix chat. There was one conversation, though, in particular we felt was worth releasing as an additional episode to share with all of you. One of the reasons the Pseudo Show has been so successful is because of our awesome sponsors at Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com DLN to check out this amazing service. I just can't believe that years ago, I didn't even use a password manager. Since then, though, I've become a little older, a little wiser, and have since tried a number of different solutions. The problem, though? They all felt like they were missing something. For me, those solutions were missing the trust factor. And I can tell you, with a password manager, it's all about trust. But how can you trust a password manager who doesn't even trust their customers? Bitwarden trusts their customers by making their software completely open source. I love this dedication to the community. Some time ago, I moved off my old solution and over to Bitwarden. I haven't looked back since. I was shocked at how easy it was. You can do the same by following their excellent migration guides. Just head on over to bitwarden.com DLN and get started today for free. Like me, when you see how awesome this service is, you'll be able to get even more features for just $10 a year. That's right, just $10 a year. Thank you to Bitwarden so much for sponsoring the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. As we were wrapping up the AMA, Computer Kid asked in chat about SAN storage. What followed was an impromptu lesson by our very own Brandon Johnson, and an exciting discussion about elastic storage, the different technologies involved, and how it applies at scale in the enterprise. Let's check it out. All right, Computer Kid, hit us with your file system questions. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was actually now I kind of want to know, Brandon, what I don't understand the whole um, what did you say? SANS file systems? What are they? OK, what's the so, difference? All right, so SAN uh, is basically just a, a system that is serves out storage or you can also say it's a NAS. You know, that's another that's a network attached system and then a storage system is usually it's over fiber channel, like a fiber fabric. It's not over traditional network. Whereas like NAS is typically over traditional IP networking. Uh, and when you use fiber, fiber channel or iSCSI, iSCSI goes over traditional networking, just like NAS. But the way it gets presented is typically uh, as a block device. Uh, and then you have uh, NAS, which is usually what like a what true NAS is. True NAS is a NAS, so it uses traditional network IP networking. So you usually consume the storage over NFS. Whereas, and then uh, you have SAN that's all done over fiber, but you deal with each individual. They call them LUNs as a normal block device. So it to your system, when you attach to it, it's like you're attaching to it over a net, over a storage fabric or a, net, or a network, it's going to look like a normal hard drive. Whereas like a NAS, 
is going to be network file system. So that's going to use NFS probably. Now, what I described earlier using Ceph, Ceph is kind of like takes the, uh, takes both approaches, but usually, uh, let, first let me finish. So like a SAN is typically a very, or a NAS is a very monolithic device. So like it's not, it's really hard to scale. You can only scale it so much. Usually it's based on how many SATA or SAS, or SAS ports you have to put in drives, or if it's like a very expensive enterprise SAN or NAS, you can hang more storage off of, a, off of the SAN control node. Now, Ceph is completely different. Ceph and Gluster are scalable, store, is scalable storage. So like I can have a node, or actually you start off with two or three nodes that are pooling their storage across the network. So you have a node with like, say, you have uh, nodes with like three terabytes each. So you pool that three terabytes and it immediately goes, you immediately have, um, uh, you pool, so you pool that three terabytes and basically it, it, you have a raid across your network for lack of a better term. So like now I can say, all right, I've pooled that three terabytes in each box. Now I have six terabytes, but that third box is my redundancy. And you then go and eat your uh, systems can then read or write to that uh, network file system. In the case of Ceph, it uses CephFS for file-based or the S3 gateway for object storage. I can get into the differences there. And then uh, another gateway for block. So you can attach a Linux system to, to the Ceph block gateway. So you can consume that disk and it gets presented to Linux as just a generic block device. It's just going to look like a hard drive. You can't do that on Windows. With Windows, you have to go through SIFs, through a SIFs gateway. You can't do any fun stuff. That, that's just a blanket rule. You can't do fun stuff on Windows. But <laughs> this, this whole technology, this is entirely new to me. I'm going to have to do some reading up on this. And some people in the chat were saying this might be an episode. It guys. could be. Yeah. Could be. So I've been get so I, I I'm like really into scalable file systems. So sc- scalable network file systems. So that's Gluster, that's Ceph. There's another one out there called Linstore that I've been kind of tinkering at there. That's just based does uh, scalable block. And there's another one called MinIO, and that one does that one's purely for object storage. Gluster is one of my favorites. Um, it's what I like about Gluster is very, very lightweight. And it's made by Red Hat. We, we bought the company, yeah. Uh, but uh, actually, the bigger uh, contributor to it is not Red Hat. It's Facebook. Facebook uses Gluster very heavily. So I heard that um, Facebook was using ButterFS. So are they using in some? Or are they using them in some sort of conjunction? So yeah, you would use it underneath. Underneath. Right. So you, Gluster is just a layer above. So typically when you install, so when you install, when you install Gluster, you're creating what's called bricks and those bricks actually live on it. uh, In the case of the Red Hat version, XFS file system, you can use ZFS, you can use ButterFS instead. It doesn't matter. The underlying actual file system on the disk is different. Gluster is a, is a layer above. So Gluster does all the replication between the different nodes 
that it that it's a part of that the cluster I'm not going to say that I'm not going to say cluster with cluster anyway that it distributes the the storage among the cluster that's the role of cluster or the role of Ceph Ceph is just taking the data and replicating across multiple nodes and once you have those and presenting that the underlying file system is not Ceph, it, the underlying file system is XFS or something else. Could be anything, quite frankly. This almost sounds a bit like a network grid. It is. It, yeah. Okay. That, that's in the most simple, in the simplest term, yes, it, you could call it a network raid. So now I kind of want to make like raid and then ButterFS raid on top of that and then Gluster raid on top of that. So I've got triple raid. Well, you don't. So actually with, uh, with network file systems like Gluster and Ceph, you actually don't want to use local hardware RAID. You want to use uh, JBOD. You want Gluster yeah. to handle the replication. You don't want the hardware replication or you're going to run into all kinds of fun IO issues. Yeah. Just like you wouldn't put ZFS on top of RAID. Exactly. You've just opened but a whole new world to me. You're thinking, yeah, I'm thinking like a whole level above. So like you're like when we're Ceph, when you're dealing with things like Ceph, you're dealing with um, multiple petabytes. Like Ceph is meant for petabyte scale, not terabyte scale. And same and Gluster is meant for right, like you're delivering things as a file. Uh, I use Gluster at my house in my home lab. All my storage is built on top of Gluster, everything. My whole backend for my virtualization is built on Gluster. The backend for my Plex library is using Gluster. Uh, my C file instance, it's uh, writing all its data to Gluster. Everything I do is at, even for, for small. So like I have a, the way my Gluster storage works is I have Pine 64 Rock Pro boards with because uh, they have a PCI slot. So I can put in a PCI card and put two hard disks on them. And I have 10 of them running in my lab. And that's where all my, that's my, that's my storage backend for everything. It's now 20 terabytes usable and I have full redundancy. It's awesome. I love, I love the way it works. If I need to replace a node, it's really easy to replace. I just order a new node, put it in. If I need to expand it, I just put in an additional node. It's not the Very most affordable cool. way of doing yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. But I, it's I've the got fun like way. two terabytes, so it <laughs> might not be worth it for me. And I'm l l working on expanding, on changing it out. Like I'm earlier in the show, I talked about I'm getting a, a, a Helio 64, which is another rock board uh, based device, but it has five SATA ports. So I can make that even more fun. Uh, also reduce how, ma how many pieces of hardware I have in my lab. So I'm trying to reduce my hardware footprint right now so I don't have as much to deal with. So I'm hoping I can replace my 10 Rock Pros with just four Helio 64 storage nodes. Those are running, oh, those Rock Pros are running CentOS 7 today. So. Mm -hmm. I ran my home lab for a while when it was just a little baby home lab and I was such a noob. I ran it off the like the base level Pine 64 board, zero SATA ports, USB 2.0. You're at the age where I where I started. And I started very similar, except I had a Pentium. No, it was AMD. They were a, it was an AMD <laughs> 486 DX4 100 megahertz processor. 
and I had more RAM than I knew what to do with a whole 16 megabytes of RAM. <laughs> Dang, that's insane. <laughs> and um, a 500 megabyte hard drive. <laughs> store all the movies. If you want to go learn, like that's all that. If you have like, like a, what's really cool about Gluster, you go want to go look at that. Gluster can be ran virtual. So you can run it on a virtual machine. So you can really go, so you can learn it without having to invest any hardware. Yeah, that's definitely one of the, there's like two big topics standing in my way that I haven't really touched yet, but I definitely need to tackle. And that's virtualization and orchestration. I've, I've looked at what Ansible is and a mm -hmm. bit of playbooks, but I haven't actually done it. And I've never set up a virtual machine before. I started in self-hosted in the era of containers. So everything's been Docker from day one. No, that's good. Docker yeah. is where it's at. I mean, I was saying this earlier. I mean, every everything is container. Everything's moving to containers. Virtualization is still going to be around for a long time. Just because enterprises have made so much investment in virtualization, specifically with VMware. So it's virtualization is not going anywhere. So learn it. It's That's still important. KVM is probably more important because KVM is the most widely used hypervisor on the planet. VMware has the paid market, but KVM, that runs the Amazon cloud. That runs Google cloud. It runs the IBM cloud. It runs Alibaba. It runs T-Systems. It runs everything. Uh, every single major public cloud in the world uses KVM. It's very important mm -hmm. to at least understand how it works. Because if you, when you do get your, uh, get your first job in technology, you could very well be working on those systems, especially if Amazon and uh, Microsoft keep gobbling everyone up. So that you'll end up have be forced to work on it. So technical, that's a great way to get a job, huh? Well, technical debt, I mean, think about like uh, with COVID, like at the beginning, like with all the uh, systems, uh, mm -hmm. the unemployment systems, you know, it ran on COBOL, Cobol. IBM mainframes. So yeah, I'm, I'm quitting, Brandon. I didn't, I didn't tell you, but I'm, I'm quitting Red Hat. I want to be a COBOL programmer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be working in technology too, you're going to want to learn Python, especially like I work in DevOps oh, and yeah. the amount of Python you have to write as a DevOps engineer, is, there's yep. a ton of it, man. Python, Ruby, uh, Ansible. I mean, it's not, Ansible is not a language, but I, I was joking the other day, like YAML has become a language, a programming language, even though we don't want it to be. But the back end for Ansible is Python. I mean, everything is written yeah. in Python, right? So uh, if you need to write custom modules, Python is awesome to know. That was just a glimpse of the amazing time we had at the September AMA. If you want to catch the full two and a half hour event, just head on over to the Destination Linux Network YouTube channel. Before we wrap up this two-part look at our first AMA, I wanted to share a brief productivity tip. Brandon and I have talked about the importance of being involved in community. That is more important than ever with the current global situation. It's not impossible to grow your professional network these days. You just have to be more intentional about it. Being a part of the Pseudo Show and the Destination Linux Network communities and participating in game nights and AMAs are great ways to build those relationships. Today, though, I wanted to offer yet another outlet, virtual conferences. It seems like all the big-named events have gone virtual this year. Many of them offer chat rooms and virtual hangouts to attempt to simulate the hallway track that we all love at in-person events. The next few months are crammed full of virtual conferences, some of which usually cost a couple of thousand dollars a ticket in person. 
and now they're being offered for free. Don't worry about writing these down. I'll have them all linked in the show notes. But here are some of our top picks for the next few months. Coming up in just a week is the Manning Publications Women in Tech. Learn, be inspired, and connect with others working to advance inclusion in the technology industry. On the same day is Ansible Fest 2020, spanning October 13th and 14th. Join online for two days of engaging speakers, live demos, and hands-on labs. Open Infrastructure Summit comes up next on October 19th through the 23rd with over 200 presentations, workshops, and collaborative sessions around 5G, AI, ML, CICD, and so much more. Then a couple weeks later is the Linux Application Summit on November 12th through the 14th. It's designed to accelerate the growth of the Linux application ecosystem by bringing together everyone involved in creating great Linux application user experience. The following week is KubeCon North America, November 17th through the 20th. It gathers adopters and technologists from leading open source and cloud native communities virtually. Learn about Kubernetes, Prometheus, CoreDNS, and many, many more. Then at the end of the month is AWS reInvent on November 30th through December 18th. You can register today to see keynotes, launches, sessions, and much more across a three-week virtual conference. As you can see, there's plenty of content to choose from and many opportunities to get out there, learn, and network with folks looking to grow their skills and their community, just like you. Stay tuned to The Pseudo Show, where we'll keep you updated on all the upcoming events, and you never know, maybe have a few speakers on the show for an interview. On top of that, we have some great interviews lined up already, some tutorial videos on the way, and meantime, if you haven't gotten connected with us, you can join Brandon, myself, and many other folks in our Telegram channel at t.me slash pseudoshow or our Matrix channel, pseudoshow colon matrix.org. Special thanks goes out to Michael Tennell this week of Tux Digital for helping us complete a logo refresh, as well as working with Brandon and I to design some video assets that will help tie together our upcoming video tutorials. Brandon and I will be back in the studio next week for an awesome retrospective on migrating companies from proprietary applications and desktops to open source. We'll share some case studies from the past, including one from Brandon's own career, possibly one of the largest ever. We'll discuss the best ways to start similar migrations, and it'll be a great show you just won't want to miss. Have an idea for a topic? Have a question you'd love to have answered? You can email us at contact at pseudo.show or reach out to us via Twitter, Mastodon, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Discourse. If you can't reach us, try rebooting your modem. Meantime, if you'd like more of our content, you can find it over at pseudo.show and on social media at pseudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. In fact, if you haven't been over to the DLN website lately, you are really missing out. The marketing team at Destination Linux have given it a huge overhaul, including updated host profiles and tons of new features. Also, if you're a patron of Destination Linux Network, keep an eye on your feed in the next week or so for a special pseudo show announcement just for you. Not a patron yet? Help support the pseudo show and the entire network for as little as a dollar a month. That gets you behind the scenes content, access to full unedited recordings, and access to live recording events. You can catch Brandon on social media at dbrandonjohnson or on his website at open-tech.net. You can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Just remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time. Yay!